All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast. We are back. I hope you enjoyed the break. I certainly did. I am here with Ali. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for I'll being try, here. Try to try to entertain you in Jordan's absence. Who's probably in a bunker right now, rolled yeah, up. Yeah, even if he, even if we knew where he was, I don't think we'd be at liberty to say. So, uh, all is well on that front. You've been talking to him, and he does seem like he's in high spirits. Is that correct? Yeah, he's good. He's actually just relaxing a little bit, taking, enjoying the break. Because uh, I think his life just got hectic, so this is probably a oh, good thing I, for him. I can imagine. All right, well, shout out to to Jordan, and I'm sure it's a matter of time before he's back. Obviously, we can't go into too much detail about that, but today we are going to talk about uh, marketing ideologies. <laughs> yeah, kicking right off where, back to you know every the, one of the most uh, popular topics we talk about on this podcast, anyway. But basically, I just want to talk about what. What does make an ideology successful? Uh, what makes an ideology successful at radicalizing people as well? I just want to delve into that a little bit. But uh, as always, before we get into that, I'm going to talk about our sponsors. You can skip to the three-minute mark if you'd like to uh, forego those, but it definitely helps this podcast out. So we are sponsored by Crush Organics. They have a huge range of CBD oil and CBD oil products. Very relaxing, very chill, very calm. Uh, they've also got gummies. They've got CBD oil for your pets. They've got everything you need. So go to crushorganics.com. That's crush with a K. Use the code NEIL and you get 40% off. That's a lot. So look, we're moving into what will likely be another very stressful year. Get yourself some Crush Organics CBD oil. We're also sponsored by Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy have a wide range of men's sexual health products so they've got the delay spray if you suffer from premature ejaculation you ever you ever come early ali that used to be a problem oh there you go yes. there you go uh you you just needed a bit of steady freddy delay spray i did i did but uh usually i tried that once however the numbness effect of it was not appreciated but hopefully this one doesn't have that. All right. Well, it's still a great product. Get yourself some Steady Freddy. Go to SteadyFreddy.com. Use the code Neil Jordan, and you'll get 15% off. Also, uh, if you're in Sydney, Melbourne, or Newcastle, come see a comedy show, ComedyUntamed.com. They're happening weekly in Sydney and Melbourne. All right. Let's get into it. Yeah, I like that intro. I'm going to play it twice now. Once at the start of the podcast. And then once after the sponsors. All right. How you doing, Ali? You good? I'm doing really well. How was your Christmas? Do you celebrate Christmas? Um. Yeah. Well, this time around, I did because my um, uh, girlfriend, fiance, now um, we went to her house. That's haram. Yeah. Totally. Is. No, actually, it's not. You got a white fiance, and you're celebrating Christmas. Well, I can't have a white fiance because did you know that in Islam, if you're a man, you can marry what they call people of the book, a Christian or a Jewish person. So technically, it's still not haram. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you could. You cannot marry a Hindu for there's obvious reasons there. But uh, yeah, if you're Jewish or... What about a Buddhist? No. Well, it's got to be people of the book. It's got to be from the Abrahamic lineage. So you could technically marry a Jew. I could technically so a marry a Palestinian could marry an Israeli. 
Yes, it's a lot. And you know what's funny? A Palestinian, oh, sorry, a Jewish woman could marry a Palestinian man, and that's all right, too. I mean, it's pref- in all instances, it's preferred to marry within your own kind. However, because in the Jewish tradition, your lineage is, what's it called? Matrilineal? So it's it's from your mom. So they, there so you go. if you're a Jewish man and you were marrying a non-Jewish woman, that would be considered way worse than if you're a Jewish woman marrying a non-Jewish uh, man. Because your kids will still be Jewish if you married a non-Jew. But if you're a man that marries a non-Jewish woman, then your kids are not going to be Jewish. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, there you go. And for Muslims, it's the opposite in the sense that, like, if you're a man, you can marry people of the book because your kids are still going to be Muslim. But if you're a Muslim woman marrying a non-Muslim man, then your kids are going to be non-Muslim, and that's wrong, so not allowed. Okay. Pretty ridiculous, considering that, like, what kid, like, follows these rules? My mom was Jewish, so hence I'm Jewish now. I think a lot do. You reckon? Wouldn't they? Still? In the in the world, maybe not in Australia, but you know it's true. Like okay, for Jews, I've noticed all the Jews that I've met, they really do take pride. How in... much gatekeeping can you do though? Because what if what if there's like paternity uncertainty in? I suppose that's why they did it, like old old ass Torah Judaism. I'm guessing to avoid that they did it, but they also like invented like marriage was a way to do. I suppose you can never really do it. I was watching, I don't know, this was some bullshit TikTok, so it's probably not true, but I was reading somewhere that about 10 to 20% of people on earth today have the wrong idea of who their fa- actual father is. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that, and that's pretty shocking, isn't it? It's shocking. 20 surely it's not 20 I don't want to believe that it's 20%. Surely not. One in five? <sighs> it could be. This I I don't know like I feel like this is more common. L- the poorer you are, I would guess that. Having said that, there's plenty of rich milfs no, cheating no. on their yeah. husband. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With the pool boy, does that pool boy thing? How often does that actually happen? Wow, because the pool boy is always the guy that the uh, the rich wife cheats on. Absolutely, with. and I've dreamt of being a pool boy my entire life for that reason. But but who the fuck is a pool? Do you know any pool boys? They're getting laid. No, <laughs> I do. I don't know any pool boys, but I do know a lot of delivery men. And whenever you ask, I'm like, dude, come on, did did she never? Was there ever a point where she didn't have enough money? And they're like, never. <laughs> like, this has never happened. This is a porn <laughs> image that you have. Yeah, what a you- fantasy. The p- pizza delivery guy getting laid with, with like three girls at a sleepover. Yeah. Oh my God, we don't have any money to pay for this. Can we pay some somehow, some other way? That never happens. It's a 14 it's a year old kid with acne. <laughs> who's never going to have or even if they're three 18 year old sluts suck his dick to pay for a pepperoni pizza. You know, that never happens. Has that ever happened once? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I've heard it, dude. It really depends how hot you are. If you're a hot delivery man, maybe. But if you're like every other delivery man, no. And she'd probably just be trying to make her husband mad. I don't think she, maybe she'd be like, all right, you're hot enough. You'll do. But I just Mm. want my husband to know that he's not. Giving me the attention I deserve. Why? Well, this is an eternal question. 
I know why men cheat. It's really obvious, particularly because I'm a man, which is that we're just genetically coded to have sex with as many women as possible so we can have like a diverse genetic pool for our children. Women, I've heard some women say that unlike men, women never cheat because they're just, they're really attracted to someone. It's usually some kind of other deficiency in their relationship yeah that's what i've heard as well it's uh very rarely almost never do women cheat if the relationship is is going well they'll they'll cheat because they're not having some kind of need met by their primary partner whereas men can be in a really great relationship and and still cheat yeah. and a lot of women don't it's hard for them to wrap their head around that but for men it it I'm not saying it's good, but it makes it makes perfect sense. No, it's a problem. I get it. Seriously. It's a huge problem. It's, it's exactly it's, the way a gambling addict can't stop. Yep. It's yep. Just like, I'm not saying it. all men do it, but all men think about it. Some men go, no, the repercussions are going to be bad. Well, I don't think. Do you think every man thinks about? I think every man finds other women attractive, but every man has thought about, about cheating. cheating. Every man's thought about cheating. Come on. Thinking about so it is easy. It it like it takes okay, a second. Okay, yeah, there's like you you have some fantasies or whatever. No, it's just like sometimes. But if you actually practically thought like, okay, there's this girl at my work that I know maybe no, no, one it doesn't day work I'll like ch- that. Well, I don't know. For some, it might work like that, but those people just they're cheaters. I've the put myself like in the position people. of the of the pizza boy. <laughs> it not, <laughs> might not be the pizza boy per se, but have I had fantasies with other women other than my partner? Sure, but have I genuinely thought? Oh, in this definitely in this relationship, no. In previous relationships, have I thought out of like resentment at certain points in bad relationships? I've thought, oh fuck you, yeah, maybe I should just cheat, which is terrible. Which is terrible. No, I I, look. I will say this: I've never come to a point where I am in a situation where I go like, I think I might do this. That's never happened. But I'll give you like one example. Once I was at this. uh, this boat party that my friend dragged me to. I, he, he was into like popping pills and like dancing and music. Of course, he, he, he's having a boat party. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? It wasn't even his boat party. Like we, it was someone else's. We paid to get into it. It was a ticketed event. No one likes boat parties and, and reading. <laughs> well, it's except just, for me because I was literally doing that. So I, I'm in a relationship. So I was at this boat party. I don't like, I wasn't taking the pills. I'm not really, I'm not a fan of dancing. Uh, I had to drive, so I wasn't really drinking either. So what literally what I was doing was I was sitting in a corner and I was reading like news on my phone Um, and everyone was just going crazy. (laughs) This chick, she walks up to me. This is, by the way, never happened to me in my entire life. No woman has ever come up to me and started hitting on me. Never has this ever happened, except in this instance, she comes up. She doesn't start off uh, by hitting on me. She's like, she's just like, she's trying to avoid some other dude. Actually, she's trying to avoid this Bangladeshi guy who's like being really, um, he's trying really hard. He's drunk at this point. And so she just thinks like, because I'm sitting in a corner, she'll just pretend that she's talking to me and that will um, uh, push him away or whatever. And so she's just started talking. And then like while she was talking, she says like... So she's trying to escape a, a creepy guy. and then Yeah, she's trying to escape have, a creepy you're guy. You're about to tell me you had creepy thoughts. Well, well I didn't have creepy <laughs> thoughts. So I was sitting there and then like she's like, oh, what are you doing? I was like, I'm literally just reading the news. And she's like, why are you re- why are you at this party? And I was like, oh, because like you see that guy who's d- dancing like an idiot? That's my mate. And he brought me here. I'm just waiting for him to like finish so we can go home. Yeah. 
And she's like, oh, okay. And then she starts talking. And she's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I work for Friendly Jody. It's like, oh, turns out she's a massive fan. And as soon as that happens, now she's thirsty. So she's like, I tell her I'm in a relationship. She doesn't care. She, and she's hot. She's like a MILF hot. She's, she's older than me, but she's like, you know, she, she, she's maintained herself. Now, at that point, when she's literally throwing herself at me and saying, come to my house, did I think about it? Yes, I did. Did I do it? No, I didn't do it. That's yeah. what I mean that you yeah, think about Yeah, fair enough. Okay, if you, if you... Yeah, so you had men's raya, but not actors raya. Exactly. Yeah. Men's raya. How, you do you know that? How do you know that reference? Oh, mock trial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, See, no, I think yeah. there's a, in that situation, I, would, I, could, I think I would be like, yeah, this, you're hot, but I, I don't... Well, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been in a situation where, I, where I've said... Hey, I work with Jordan. Oh, let me suck your dick. No, <laughs> it's not, happened. He doesn't come up really. That's no, but you know, you know, he what? doesn't strike me as 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 the the sort of personality that would uh, make the women go mad, bro. Whereas he shouldn't, but you, he does. There you go. I, I you know, a funny story. Uh, when I was uh, quite younger, twenty twenty one. And I'd just blown up on the internet. And, and this was when there weren't many comedic influences. Uh, I'd always be collaborating with other people. And they would send me screenshots of the DMs they would get from very, very attractive women. Sending them messages saying, oh my god, you're working with Neil, that's so cool. And then wanting to get a drink. And this happened multiple times. And I was always like, why don't they ever message me? <laughs> but why are they messing, messaging these people by association? Yeah, I don't. I just, <laughs> I'm also single. What are you doing? That's such a good point. I don't know why that happens. The, the thing is, like, ever since I've known Jordan, even before he was famous, he's always been in a relationship. So that aspect, and he's really good at it. He doesn't even have mens rea, bro. Like, he just his only. I once asked him, like, how do you do this? Because after shows, women would be throwing themselves at him, and I'd be like, and he would just. And he's such a gentleman. It was like, oh, yeah, well, thank you. And then he, he was, he'd never be rude, but he would still always make it clear that that's not. I was like, how do you do it? He's like, well, I just don't put myself in those situations. And I think yeah, that's, that's what you got to but, yeah. but so for him, he lived when I was single or when like Miss Love is single, he used to live vicariously through us. So what he would do is every time like there was some girl involved, he would fully motivate us to go for the, for it. And he right. would like, and he'd be, he'd be involved in a the lot entire courtship process. Do that. And he's like, no, say this. Don't, don't say this. Say that. And, uh, and he would just like. Your dick is my dick. Yeah. That's legitimately how he would do it. And for the time that I was single, I really did exploit that <laughs> situation a little bit. I would be honest. Sure. You, look, you take what you can get. Yeah. And if it means that they're attracted to the person you're associated with, so be it. Oh yes, does it, but doesn't that feel a bit weird if if someone is essentially frothing the person you're working with, and as a result they're happy to converse with you? Isn't that a bit to not, not demeaning, but no, it is in that sense. <laughs> like, I, well, so okay, so I'll make it a denim over here. There, those people exist. In fact, we have a mutual person like that who started off that way. I'll mention it to you later, but you know her. Um, but those people I'd never go for. I know who you're talking about. I, those people I'd never go for. Yeah. As soon as I figure that bit out, I'd be like, well, first, that just is, it never ends well. So that's not the person. If, if I get the vibe that they're really into Jordan 
and um, and they'll they're like trying to get into that whole thing, I would just abandon the entire process. However, there were so when I go to Jordan shows, yeah. there'd be people that were there. Some of them were like, oh, I saw him on YouTube and I thought he was cool, so I check it out. So they're not like fans, fans either. Yeah, but they're already there and they're kind of intrigued. And when you work for when when I'm there, they know that I work for Friendly Geordies. And then once you start talking, then it might develop from there. But so it's like the I I know the DJ kind of guy. Yeah, it's just you're in. It's that's (laughs) that's all it is. And honestly, I never even use that that much. I'm just being a bit unfair now. Most of the time, it would just be that you uh, speak to someone and they ask you, what do you do? And you say, I work, uh, I work for Friendly Geordies and they've heard of it. They don't, they might not even have seen the videos. They've heard Friendly Geordies exists and that's an immediate in because now they're interested. And then after that point, it's really up to you how you handle the situation. Yeah, there is this sort of romantic ideal everyone has about, oh, people should just like you for who you are. Well, your status is part of who you are. Mm. Chris Rock has a good joke about um, his friend saying, oh, all these girls just want you because you're Chris Rock. And he's like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, I worked for that. It it works. (laughs) If it works, then so be it. All right. So... uh, uh, I was thinking a lot about what you said when we when I uh, was on the Friendly Geordies podcast the other day. You, you told me that in the space of a relatively short period of time, 300 million Chinese people converted to Christianity. Yeah, that was. I'm. I'm <laughs> it's interesting you picked up on that, but that's that's a rare thing. And but it's happened a few times. The other thing, the other example of that is in a very short span of time, an ideology taking over like wildfire was actually Islam. If you look at all the other religions, yep. they start, their leader dies, a hundred years later, people compile those stories and slowly a religious cult sort of begins and at some point it becomes an organized religion. Islam was like, dude, Muhammad within his lifetime, he wasn't even, he died at 63 or some shit. He wasn't even that old. In his lifetime, like millions of people had already converted to Islam. He was, he took over he he was he occupied like one of the largest empires at the time. Well, that's incredible considering the lack of technology back then. There was no well, social media. There was just the written word and. But and there the was word. a new technology that had come in, which turbocharged it. So pr- I want to get to that press? aspect, like because I think there's a few. Um, it's like it, when you're creating a bomb, <laughs> for lack of a better analogy. Uh, there's a few components that need to work together. And only in that perfect combination would that thing trigger and it will blow up. So these ideologies that, even the ones that don't rapidly um, grow, they need to have that perfect combination. Yes, they need to have the, the conditions need to be right. The conditions to need to be ripe. And honestly, if the conditions are ripe, then like even a shit ideology can take over really quickly. So, so let's come back so to... So in Islam's okay. time, it was... Uh, books. It was literally the written paper. The invention of paper that made it uh-huh. accessible for a lot more people. Kind of like the social media of its time. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. That would have been an extremely transformative technology at the of the time. Because people used to literally just write on bones. Yeah. And camel skins. And then all tablets. of a sudden... Yeah, tablets. Like most, so all of a sudden, now you had this like commodity this paper that you could write on you can compile it so you don't have to like look for where's that fucking spine bone that i wrote wrote that thing on and it could be like transported not like social media 
But still, you know, in, with merchants that are going from one place to another, they're carrying with them not just the stories, but also this now book it can that become, you can pass on to someone. Yeah, yeah. The growth can become relatively exponential. And in that time, that we probably weren't in a in a, a cluttered marketplace of ideas relative to today. So that's really fascinating. That's really interesting. What do you think it was that um, allowed Christianity to catch on in China so quickly? Was it just after the Mao's revolution, there was a, a state of chaos and China always had a relatively secular society but that was exacerbated after the communists took over and as a result there was a dearth of that kind of spiritual element and christianity just came in and hit all the right notes what was it yeah well uh, there was that so uh, throughout the entire maoist period there was such a repression of any kind of religious expression that it it always exists but if you suppress it then it's going to go away for a little bit and then once you remove that suppression, it's going to yearn for something really quickly. It's just a vacuum that needs to be fulfilled. And in China, after Mao's death, when things started to relax, people were again open to new ideas. And Christian missionaries are really good at their evangelical mission. And 300 million, that's... <laughs> it's a huge amount that's of people. But there was a huge market that was just waiting, you know? They're waiting for some kind of an ideology that they could latch on to, some religion. Because I found that a lot of the uh, immigrants, the Chinese immigrants that come to Australia are, are heavily Christian. Mm. Didn't realize that at the time. I always thought Christians were a very small uh, group in China, but 300 million, that's... So there needs to be like one of the things is, is like some kind of technological tool that changes the, the rules of the game. So like social media, yep. paper... Um, it could be something as small as in a new trade route that has developed in some yeah. part of the world, right? Where two communities that never had any kind of interaction to some weird quirk of history, maybe like some there's a mineral demand in some part of the world, now have to interact with one another. Once they start interacting, they start sharing stories. And that in itself could like spread some kind of thing. Well, wait till Neuralink comes to fruition and we can <laughs> transport ideas telepathically then... Forget about it. So there needs to be some kind of tech innovation or some kind of new innovation that aids in uh, sharing of ideas. Yeah. Then you also need to have some kind of vacuum in that society that yearns for a new idea. Do you think on an individual level a similar process may occur for people who, quote-unquote, become radicalized uh, in that maybe they've... Uh, absolve themselves of any sort of any kind of spiritual ethos and and as a result there's a vacuum within them and their consciousness and that can easily be taken up by whether it's deliberately nefarious actors or just accidental radicalization uh, which is a subjective term as well but do, do you think a similar sort of process occurs on a micro level Yes, but it has a few additions in my view. I'm no expert on this. But so radicalization requires an extra element. So when 300 million Chinese convert to Christianity, they're not necessarily radicalized. They just had this new faith expression that they found as codified religion. And they're just normal people that now believe in Jesus. Let's also, before we go in, for what, how would you define radicalization? Because 
that does seem to be a subjective term in that a lot of people in the mainstream media will talk about young men being radicalized in the through the alt-right pipeline, but there still seems to be quite a variety and diverse range of views even within that so-called pipeline, whereas many people would see uh, those who consume corporate media without question as the the ones who are radical to a certain degree or at least not awake, if you will. Uh, it just does seem to be this term that's thrown around as a critique of people who are just ideologically opposed to whatever you might be at the at a given time. Yeah, but I think like the term radical itself means that you're really what is the I wish we had a Jamie that can bring up the exact definition of the political radical term. But radicalism, usually even in political ideologies, is when you're reinventing whatever ideology that you had from but the fundamental basis of it, you're reevaluating. So it's not just like when you're a, uh, let's say you're a Christian today and you're arguing with some other Christian sect about like when you make the cross, instead of going west to uh, east, you should go east to west. Now, there's a diverse thought. Maybe one of them is a new way of looking at it, but you wouldn't really say radical because it's not really addressing the very fundamentals of that religion. This is just a quirk. However, someone says, uh, like, for example, Jesus said, well, Jesus, when, you know, in his time, when he was like, I am the Messiah. Now, that's radical. That means that everything needs to change. If you're the Messiah, that means you are going to usher in the kingdom of David. You're going to get rid of the kingdom of Caesar. There's a whole host of new things that come along with it. So, so, so every, broadly speaking, every new ideology uh, it infers some kind of radicalization in the early it, period. It can. Well, in, in in early periods, it always is really radical, because like I think with like religion, because I used to be really interested in this topic, so I I researched a fair bit on uh, the different prophets in the Abrahamic religion, and and I almost always found out that they weren't starting a religion. None of them were starting a religion. They were already in religions, and they were just re-preaching that religion with a new take. So they were really just reformers, and later on when they died their people, these followers, sort of like had to come to terms with what the hell just happened, who was this guy, and then they codify the entire sort of their life and their biography and make a religion out of it. Would you say it's a, a, a sort of social and or ideological Darwinism that the, where those ideas are constantly adapting to any given human society or environment? Yeah, and and so like... It is. And and usually there's something really wrong in that society at that particular time when these people emerge. Yeah, It's not a stable society. There's something that's really... Like I remember reading this book um, on Jesus, the historical Jesus, as, uh, you know, historians, they don't really know a lot about him. There's very few things that they know about him. And so they try to make sense of what is more likely, what what is less likely. In Jesus's case, they don't know a lot about Jesus, but they know a lot about first century Palestine and Rome. So what they also found out that Jews in Palestine at that point were completely under control of the Roman Empire, where not just they were being subjugated by this sort of upward authority, but their entire um, the temple itself had been uh, had like formed this very convenient alliance with the Romans 
And a lot of Jews at the time felt that Judaism itself was dying because of its over-reliance on uh, the Roman Empire. And their uh, spiritual rabbis of the time were basically looked at as not even Jewish anymore. All they cared about was money and serving the empire. So in that context, it, and Jesus wasn't the only one. Like there were regularly people were claiming to be the Messiah and they were executed by the Romans for that reason. Jesus was just one of them. He wasn't even a popular one. He was like one of, there were way more popular ones, reformers of the time that claimed to be the Messiah than Jesus. But what, what you find out from this is if every month or so someone is claiming to be the Messiah, there's something going on in that society that is forcing people to do it. In modern day Australia, very few people, unless they're mentally ill, will claim that I am the Messiah. Sure. And there's a very fine line between claiming you're a Messiah and just pure narcissistic uh, self-aggrandizement. And I wonder if, if a society tends towards tyranny or uh, decadence, it just promulgates a greater incidence of narcissistic thoughts within that population. That can happen, but usually it's not long-lived. So the, all of these really widespread ideologies or religions that we now look at today, at their core, weren't selfish when they started. Because if it was selfish, it would have died out at some point, usually after the death of its leader. What, how can someone claiming to know the truth and, and say, I have the answers for everyone, not to some degree be self-interested well it depends if you think that they're lying they might genuinely believe what they're saying they truly think that and in some cases i'm sure they were selfish but i feel like the ones that we know about today probably weren't selfish at their core they might be selfish in the sense that they have certain objectives that they want to achieve as part of a greater good, and they're willing to bend the rules around it to get there. So that's, you can look at, that's somewhat selfish. You're really doing something that you're not supposed to. But as always, as they justified by saying the end, the means don't matter because the ends are going to be great. And usually the ends aren't selfish. I think there's like, uh, I was reading this somewhere, that if you have, if you are incredibly brave and you're also selfless at the same time, you'll become a leader. If you aren't selfless, then you just become a gangster. So you've, we've all heard of gangsters that developed a big following, but it doesn't last for too long. 300 million people in China 2,000 years later won't convert if you were just a gangster that was trying to make money. There must be something in your religion or whatever you were preaching that really appealed to people and they switch their ideas based on the idea that you were selfless. And if you look at like um, uh, Christianity, Jesus, like Jesus's followers weren't rich, aristocratic people that, you know, were highly connected and felt like this is some new idea that's going to make us rich. They were like, it starts off with being it was the like, underclass. Of, it was of the Rome, underclass. People that don't, Jesus himself, Bruce hmm. from Nazareth. Nazareth is if if in today's like Australia it would be double. It's like a he would have been considered a country bumpkin. 
It's not a place that Jesus people. Jesus from Dubbo, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jesus <laughs> from Dubbo. He would have been. He would come out with the Third Testament. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we would look at it as like, all right, well, like if God really wanted to speak to someone, we really go to Dubbo. Always Dubbo? shout your mates at the pub. <laughs> oh, and thou shalt not be a dog cunt. Anyway, go. On. Thou shalt not be a dog cunt. And and so Jesus' initial followers were country bumpkins, and usually women, and like just the absolute marginalized people of society so in order to appeal to them you cannot be selfless uh, you cannot be selfish if you're selfish you're going to try to woo the priests the rabbis of the community mm. do you think there's some something where there's a there's a state of i guess emotional transference that occurs from a deeply spiritual creed that can then appeal more to 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 those who are in a state of chaos and in a state of stress more so than to those who are in as you say a stable society or I would assume the elites of that time who didn't necessarily need to offset all the the dread and stress that they were constantly feeling. And as a result, these sorts of creeds will inevitably appeal to, to the downtrodden more than anyone else. Yes, particularly if the message appeals, like if the message is suitable to them. Like, in again, in Jesus' example, when he says, I'm the Messiah... He means he's going to usher out the current system of Caesar. He's going to establish the kingdom of David and all the underclasses that he's appealing to. He's going to put them into a position of power and the people that were already in a position of power, he's going to put, make them the underclass. That yeah. was literally, his, it's appealing to like, if you're poor as shit farmer in fucking Nazareth and you hear this, like, oh, if you, just, if you support me, I'm going to rework the entire system where you're going to be the elite. It's appealing to you. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, I, I can get behind that. My life sucks right now. Or you're going to be the elite in the in the next world or you're, you're you know, the, the concept of heaven where you're delaying gratification through your entire life when we all can see that delayed gratification is ultimately a behavior that will always be conducive to success and stability and uh generally just create the conditions for a good life or a good society. And when you can do that, this for an entire population, allow them to delay gratification their whole life for the promise of um, the abstract concept of heaven. Well, that to me seems like it would win out uh, against a society that is living through a, a decadence or gratification or whatever you want to call it. So, yes, you're right. And I, I think so, like, that's part of the conditions. Things need to suck for you at that particular time yeah. for an ideology like that to spread really quickly. Um, and it's, this, is, this is consistent in even non-religious ideologies, even political ideologies. Oh, yeah. Like, R Russian Revolution couldn't have happened if Russia hadn't gone through a horrible First wo World War where economic... like. Again, even in today's Russia, when things are looking downwards, you forget about, you, you try to like latch on to new ideas because whatever you're doing is not working. So at that point, reformers come in and they pitch a new idea. And if people like that idea, then they go with it. And then it just sort of builds on from there on. Even irrational ideas are adopted in very rational settings. So if someone is a successful business person, they're likely not going to become a communist because that that creed would would then uh, 
force them to uh, internalize the idea that they're actually oppressive towards their workers rather than if they adopt the ideology of, of liberalism, capitalism, or just, you know, per, an, an ethos that, that promotes uh, their toil as uniquely special and the cause of their success. So what I'm trying to say is like people will gravitate towards an ideology that allows them to feel some form of status and allows them to, to understand their problems and their position in a society in a way that makes them feel good at the end of the day. Yeah. Or if not good in that life, then that's in the next then in life. The next you know, life. it's a yeah. better hope. Yeah. Because you also have those instances where like, if you're if if a religious following has managed to get some kind of political power, then you can change your life within within that lifetime. Yeah. But in many instances, you are unable to. You usually get killed because people that are in positions of power really don't like people at the bottom trying to rework things. Sure. And in that instance, then your higher status is in the next life, not in this life. So it just yeah. keeps you motivated a little bit more. Because well, then the people. At at the helm of any of these societies probably have their own ideology, even if it's not necessarily yeah. a written creed. They, they have their ideas that shared amongst that class and it could be slightly diverse and different, but whatever those ideas may be, that is what justifies their actions towards anyone below them and vice versa. Yeah. And their ideas might not necessarily even be that bad. Like it's just, it's, it might not be right for that particular time in society, but the ideas, and we tend to like look at it. So in, in the, again, religious terms, we look at like uh pre-Christian, uh, pre-Christian Palestine or even Europe as like a dark time. And then this light of religious Christianity sort of ushered in and things got better. Usually, in hindsight, we look at things that way, but that might not be the case. They just might be two separate, distinct set of ideas that just went into conflict at some point, and one of them succeeded, and now we follow that part. So, in in like, uh, well, like with anything, every system can become corrupt and lose the essence of what made it efficient and successful in the first place. And you need to you need to revamp that. Yeah, you need to because otherwise, like you know, stale water goes like it, it it gets dirty. You need to at every given point you need to rework the system. You need to keep improving it. And usually, this is met by resistance because the initial system that's stale is still benefiting a bunch of people, and they, yeah. at the detriment of the wider society, they don't want it to change because it's benefiting them. And so usually you have to go, you have to fight for it. Do you think it's impossible to fully be objective in a situation where we are talking about ideologies for greater society when you might be benefiting from, you, you know, the, the traditional or the given system versus the person who has so much more to gain if there was uh, some, if someone usurped that system? So is it, is it possible to be objective when analyzing these things, because it takes a special a person to do it, if, particularly if you're gaining from the system. But you know, like it's funny that you mentioned the communist example. That like, if you're part of the capitalist class, you're less likely to become a communist because it's going to affect you. Funnily enough, in communism, that happened a lot, 
And it we did don't actually, really know. Yeah, it, was a lot. it became an intellectual movement yeah. at one point. And when it became an intellectual movement, it really started targeting the aristocracy. And some of the aristocrats became communist and started like going against their own interests or in their family's interests. Like Engels, for instance, was the son of a very rich factory owner. Well, yeah, um, but, and Marx was well off. Marx was he? well yeah. off too. He just kind of lost his wealth because he was too interested in books. He was just a nerd. Um, che Guevara, he was from uh, an upper middle class family. He was a doctor himself. Uh, Fidel Castro was a lawyer. His family was rich. Well, a lot of those people had to gain in the in their status within the new system. So they were going to be the new thought leaders or the new political leaders within that given system. So they had areas where they would gain. That's true, but they don't know if they'll succeed. But they already have it going. So if someone like, if some, if some poor guy, hmm. like Jesus or someone, says that I want to revamp the system, it makes sense. Well, shit's going bad for you. Like, it makes sense that you want to change things around. And in the process, if you die, so be it. You know, you stood up for what you believed in. You wanted to better your life and you couldn't. But like, Fidel Castro was already benefiting from the previous system. Like, he wasn't the one that was suffering. There were other country folks that were suffering that he was fighting on behalf of. And yes, it's true that like ha if he succeeded like he did, he would be in a position of power that would have been greater than what he was in before. Yeah. But he doesn't know that. And he well, could very well die. It would have been a, a, a gamble and it paid off for him. He would have known that he could have reaped those rewards. Yes, but I don't think he would have been able to succeed if he genuinely just did it for that selfish reason. To be able, like, even in Fidel Castro's instance, at one point, all the communists were either driven out or killed in Cuba. He was on a boat with, I think I might get the number wrong, either eight or 20 people. So there were literally just 20 communists left. And instead mm -hmm. of like going away, Fidel Castro decides that, no, he'll go back. He started living in some rural area in, uh, in, in Cuba, developed an army and eventually took over the country. But if you're part of like, if, you're, if your entire army that's supposed to take over the country is just eight people on a boat that's about to capsize, if you're solely in it for the selfish reasons, you will give up. If you still have that hope that, no, I know the odds are against me, but I believe in this and I'm going to do it, that has to be selfless in some sense. Now, I'm not saying that he was a selfless leader. Once he became the leader, he did some things... Uh, he did things that were that really that were bad for his people, but I can assure you, he himself thought that those were good things. Hmm. But a, uh, an effective ideology always allows the person holding those ideas to feel like they are virtuous, and it's more than just them. It's like it's actually the opposite of selfless because ideology means that there's a collective identity over here. Yeah. It's more than just me. If I die, what I'm working for is going to help someone else. Because we can objectively look at what Hitler did in the Second World War and say that was clearly not for the greater good. But in his mind, he would have felt justified in doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's where... And in, in a lot of other people's minds too at the time. Yeah, sure. We now look at it as like, because, you know, we've got the hindsight of history and we go like, well, they these guys were crazy. They kill six million people. They wage war against the world. But like, if you were growing, if you were like growing up in like depression era Germany, 
when like after the first world war you were effectively blocked from any kind of economic might you 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 were a great power and then all of a sudden you're literally caged up economically where there's no yeah. way you're ever going to achieve the greatness that you think your german society deserves and then there's a this great depression where like things get even worse at that point someone living in that german society when hitler says that no we're going to fight and we're going to reclaim our position in the world it's really appealing of course and when when like and then when he says like oh and we also have to like kill jews to do that you're like oh okay i don't care about that you do that like it's fine if you have to cuz i'm not jewish i don't well, care you need an enemy you need the uh, uh the the mass of people that are putting you down yeah then there are people within that society that for selfish reasons will adopt that ideology and just pursue their self-interest. So I'm not saying yeah. every SS leader that was running gas camps truly believed that Jews were an inferior race. They were just doing it because they it benefited them. Like they would have gotten better positions, they would have been more successful, they would have made more money. But I still think that Hitler would have genuinely believed in everything that he was saying. Yeah. You'd have to at that point. Yeah, you'd have to at that point and like there's a history to it. Like you've you didn't just like come from a vacuum and become the fuhrer like you had an entire struggle where there would have been points where you thought like you're never going to win it would have been up and down and you've come through all of that and your ideology however flawed it is has brought you to that position mm. where like not just germany but austria czech republic all of these countries are looking at you as like this divine creature that's going to salvage humanity so looking at the world today the developed world particularly young people in the developed world, it does seem th those similar sort of conditions are bubbling up. Not so much economically. Things are, well, there's a huge disparity in, in wealth now, but compared to Weimar Germany and, and you know, Mao's China, the, our economies are still much better. But there's a huge spiritual void and a lot of people are um, ripe to be, taken by various ideologies and that's already happening yeah the, now the radical the radicalization element of it comes in it's like okay it's one thing to now believe in an ideology it's one thing to all of a sudden say like i'm a socialist now but it's another thing like i'm going to go and blow up the lint cafe that that requires yeah. a whole the calculus is now changed so i think there's another factor that is required for you to be able to go to that extent which is like mental health issues and feeling that your place in society is irrelevant. Well then is it the radicalization or is it just the that given person happens to be on a one end of the mental health spectrum? That needs to also exist. It doesn't mean you have to be like crazy. It doesn't mean you have to be bipolar, but you need to have some kind of mental health issues that aren't being addressed. And then at the same time you also need to have a fucked up society that you live in. So with that combination you can really become you can become radical. It'll be easy. Mm. People that know how to make you radical like I was listening to this uh uh guy in uh, Afghanistan who was um a suicide bombing uh trainer and uh he would like radicalize young children to go up and blow different targets all over the world. And one of the interview the the journalist asked him like how do you do it? Like how do you manage to convince these kids to go and blow up? 
Like, it's so much easier. Give me, like, he said, you give me half an hour with you and I can convince you. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, these kids have shit lives. They basically have, their their families have abandoned them and they've given them to us. Because they were like, we can't even feed these kids. Every now and then, your planes come and blow up some poor family member of theirs because you were targeting some Al-Qaeda guy, but you also took out like 10 people around them. And so like, it really takes me just 20 minutes to convince them to go blow up someone else because they're like, at that point, it's just revenge for them. So they're like, yeah, I'll do it. Arguably, the crazy person would be the one who chooses not to blow up yeah. someone in, in, that, in that situation. In that situation, particularly when like you're promised beyond, once you press that button that blows yourself up, life is going to be smooth. You're going to be having, you're going to have virgin. You've never had, like, you've never even interacted with a female in your life. And you're being promised 80 hot chicks. Like, that's so enticing for that <laughs> that's kid. That's it comes down to at the end of it. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> and he knows it. Unlike us, when we listen to that, we're like, well, what if you're wrong, bro? Like, what if I'm just dead? That thought doesn't even occur to them. They yeah. know it's going to happen. Yeah, I'll blow myself up if that's the situation. But you also need to be living in a in a place where like people are regularly killing family members of yours. You bet your fam your parents are basically dropping you off to this madrasa because they can't afford to feed you. Yeah. Like those factors also need to exist. Mm. In first world countries, you just need to be mentally fucked up for someone to be able to do that to you. Like all of these people that well, join ISIS. Yeah, but there's levels. Some of us are more fucked up than others. Yeah. Like I had a mate. Uh, you've probably even met him. He was uh, uh, he was Jordan's best friend growing up. Uh, uh, we call him Dome King on uh, on the Friendly Jordy's pod. But he's a character. He was Jordan's like. He, no, I don't he, think I've met him. He 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 had some issues. Uh, he had some mental health issues, and at one point, I remember this is peak ISIS. By the way, he's a he's a kid that grew up in Paddington. As like no relation to Islamists or anything. He's just a normal kid that went to fucking a selective school in Manly and was meant to, like his father, be a journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald. But like he, he goes fucked up. He goes to like uni and uh, he experiments with a lot of LSD. Anyways, cut to the future. He has serious mental health issues. He's a really good friend of ours. And one time he's like sitting at my house. This is probably 2016 and the peak of ISIS yeah. Cunts are like going to ISIS all the time. Like the whole world is like, what the hell? They're like unstoppable. They've just taken over like half of Syria. And he's like, he's like, yo, do you have like the Quran at your house? And I was um, uh, yeah, why? He's like, can I read it? I was like, and normally that's the thing that I'd be like, yeah, sure. But with him, I was like, nah, bro, I'm not <laughs> giving it to you. He's like, why? He's like, because you, because you, will do it you will join isis you're in that frame of mind you have incredible issues like you hate yourself everything about this life right now for you sucks and all of a sudden this news and isis stuff is really intriguing you and that man has joined cults before and now he's like a full-on born-again christian nut isn't that interesting yeah. it does seem like that people have a proclivity not for a given ideology, but the level of uh, radicalization or ex the, how extreme that particular ideology may be because you hear about these stories of people who go what in today's world would be called far right all the way to far left. Or, or, and in both instances, they'll have some sort of philosophy about how violence is justified to 
topple this tyrannical government when really that person has a unique set of uh, psychological attributes that is pushing them towards an ex- extreme ideas. They simply cannot exist in the in the center, in the middle, or just in any kind of Overton window of what we would call normal. And the additional aspect of it is is that they all at one point feel that the the world that they're living in is not just is not just shitty, but like they have no meaning within it. Their life is meaningless. They genuinely feel, which is why they have suicidal thoughts. They feel like if they died, nothing, like nothing will change. They're just absolutely meaningless. And when they get interested in these radical fringe ideas, aside from this new ideology, what they also get in these societies is all of a sudden a sense of community and belonging. And if you go to these, like, well, if you like go to, look, I was a communist when I was younger. Um, When you go into like their meetings, they're extremely nice. They care about you. They're like, it's churches are the same. You go to a church, everyone looks after one another. It's a community. So all of a sudden this person who felt like killing themselves because they were so meaningless are put into a situation where everyone around them is giving them respect. They're giving them like just a sense of belonging. And yes, it comes up with a fucked up ideology, but I'm willing to take it. This life is way better than the other one. So rather than targeting these various creeds, people need to target the root causes or the or the dearth of these kind of the psychological needs in many ways that is causing people to move towards these ideologies. So if people generally felt like they had a sense of belonging in mainstream society and a sense of status and purpose and meaning and all these things that we associate with uh, the ideas and how they attract people, if if you can really hit those, that's the way to prevent people from adopting those ideas rather than attacking the ideas themselves. Having said that, it can get to a point where just out of pure safety you need to fight off a given uh, tribe or collective that have adopted these kind of dangerous ideas. Um do you think that in any society there will always be people on the fringes, so to speak, in that there will always be people who just by pure statistical chance in a society of 10 million, 100 million, there will always be a certain percentage? And based on various public policies, you can you can alter that percentage, but there always will be a percentage that are prone to adopt extreme ideas. Because I get the feeling that there always will be. I think there will always will be in in the same way that you know we've had complex societies for how long there'll there's always crime there's always homeless people there's you know th- these sorts of issues always come about and rather than preventing people from exploring ex- uh, you know it, it, extreme ideas baked into a pervasive ideology of a given society there should be some permission for people to become extreme that somehow still advantages the society itself. So I maybe you could say, okay, if someone becomes an extreme born-again Christian like your friend versus what they could have become, which is a, you know, an ISIS militant, the, the damage each of those causes to society is very different mm. in that the extreme Christian, as far as we know now, I'm sure they'll 
more likely than not this century be some sort of militaristic Christian American nationalist cult that comes about. But no, there have been several. There definitely like, have uh, been. Yeah, and even like uh, if you look at the one, the Queensland shooting, they killed two cops. Well, he was. Yeah, they were like uh, they were Christian nuts. There you go. They they went into well, like happening. this weird conspiracy that they they were saying that they killed devils because Jesus told them to when they killed the cops. And that's a really perverse example because it was only one year ago where he was the principal of a school. Yeah, yeah. And to be a principal, you have to be you have to have some level of uh, you know organizational skills and be able to get along with people and. In the space of one year for that to have happened, it would be very interesting. Well, but like apparently they got fired because they were anti vaxxers or something, right? So being uh, like at your home for a year and a half to two years because your workplace wouldn't hire you because of some (sighs) belief is really going to turbocharge that belief. God, so you went totally down the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. Which is why, like, which is sometimes it's like. We have this, like, particularly in modern cancel culture society, we have this habit of, like, anyone that we see as undesirable, let's say they, they don't like to take vaccines or they're just, they just have these fringe ideas that we don't like, we tend to just ostracize them. We're like, I don't even want to think about you. I want you to just go away. You're canceled. Go away, sit in a corner, look at the wall and think about what you've done wrong and then come back when you realize that you were wrong. And it's it's but it's the opposite. Yeah, it only makes them way more radicalized. So if they had like a normal sort of a little crazy idea, this act of yours is gonna make them full blown full blown nut. So instead of like ostracizing people, we should really try and like actually now this person needs even more attention from society. You have to manipulate their reality because if you ostracize them, it simply reinforces the reality that they've adopted, which is that oh everyone's out to get me and. Society hates these ideas because they can't handle them and they're all living in the matrix. They all have that kind of philosophy, basically. So the only way to overcome that is to actually act in a way that is uh, that counterbalances their reality. Now, it's easier said than done because people develop these ideas over sometimes decades of, of, of their life or uh, definitely a long and impactful period of time. But I wonder if... You know, if there are always going to be these extreme elements in society, if you can embed within whether it's a totally homogenous culture or just a pervasive culture in a in a society, a way for those people who have a proclivity to uh, fall into extreme ideas to somehow make them feel like they're still falling into that extreme idea, but in a way that still benefits the society at large. So some would say... Um, it's secular modern capitalism or something like whatever you want to call the modern the modern way of doing things, people who become obsessed with investing are in a way, though they're not politically radical, they 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 have a temperament and a proclivity to become obsessed with things, to become addicted, and it's that same psychological landscape, if you will, that if the conditions were slightly different, it's the same person that would have become that ISIS fighter. Hmm. Yeah, and I think you made like a good analogy with the crime rates that there's cert- there's going to be a certain amount of people that will fall into that category. It's like, it's one of the constants. It's like, like you said, it's crime. You can't go zero. 
There's yeah. always going to be some guy who fucks up. But then you also look at like crime rate of Australia. Australia also has crime rate. But then you look at crime rate of Honduras, which is insane. So you go like, okay, well, crime exists in both places. But there's something going on in Honduras that's making every third person kill some other guy. Yeah. So there's definitely more to it just than the constant fact that we're all humans and some of us are going to be a little more fucked up. Oh, without a doubt. So I think part of the reason why, particularly what's relevant to us, the first world, like a lot of people are becoming radicalized now is because the traditional social bond is collapsing. Yeah. Like look at where we where you live now. You live in an apartment building. How many of your neighbors do you know? A few. You know, not many. Not yeah. many. There's so many people over here. Yeah. We never used to live like this. We used to live in villages. We used to live in small communities where every member of that community knew every other member and they regulated behavior. Yeah. So if someone from that community just all of a sudden had weird ideas, they'd be like 10 other people that know him since he was like a child to be like, you're going crazy. This is not right. And then there's enough like sort of uh, love in that relationship that the even the person fucked up ideas knows that I'm not going to be relegated. They're going to like maybe look down on me. I'm going to get into some trouble. And worse, they might kick me out of village, but I need to do something drastically crazy for that to happen. There's genuine love over there that moderates the behavior of the crazy. Mm. But when you live in a society where it's just a concrete jungle, where you don't really know anyone around you, even your nuclear family bonds are weak. So let alone your neighborhoods or your extended family, but you literally have issues with your own father, your own mother, your own siblings. That person is way more likely to be radicalized. Definitely. But it also does say something about whatever cultural system we're under that it moved in this direction in the first place because I don't think it would have taken a genius to understand how beneficial those social bonds were, but... We weren't forced at gunpoint to uh, rid ourselves of those social bonds. They just, over time, slowly deteriorated. And that says a lot about the sort of, the sort of culture we might be living under right now. I, I think, Neil, this is my opinion. I think we did do it on gunpoint. And we had good reasons to do it. So, you know how you look at, like, uh, Italian mafia families, right? Yeah. The ones that move to uh, different parts of the world within the US, like if you've seen The Godfather, their allegiance is to the family. Yeah. Which is why whenever they do their criminal activities, it really doesn't matter. They don't think they're bad people because all they care about is my clan, is my family, and protection of these people is my paramount concern. That's how we used to live. At some point, in particularly in like western world we came up with this new idea it's like this traditional structure is really fucking up the world because we need to have this new idea called individualism where each person in society has a contract with the state the state will protect you your family won't protect you because when you're when you depend on your family to protect you then collectively our society does not grow so everyone had this individual contract with the state which is often called a social contract mm. and that contract isolates them from everyone else so your allegiance is to the state the legal laws and if you follow everything we tell you we will protect you we will protect your property we'll protect whatever you hold dear but then don't try and like do favors for your uncle illegally 
because you know you think that he he deserves like an extra cut or something that's illegal and you will be thrown into jail for that so like individualism did lead to us sort of breaking those bonds the social bonds well, well that wasn't at gunpoint and also the that concept of individualism has existed in the West for a very long time, but it does seem like just in the last couple of decades where those social bonds have really deteriorated. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It has been a gradual process and it really kind of started just before the industrial revolution. And I, and, and you're right. Individualism has, but that's, we've, we can also see examples of fringe elements developing even in those times. It's not like the idea of radicalization is not new. It's yeah. existed for some time. But you are right that today we're seeing this, is it's a lot more widespread. Hmm. So it has to be more than just the individualism aspect of it. And I think it's like rapid advancement in technology. Yeah. Now you can like live, like how crazy is this? That you could be living in Sydney and you on through the internet you have this bond with someone that might be thousands of kilometers away in a completely different context and also not have any bonds with the person that's literally next door from you. Like this reality can only happen if you have this insane technology. And wait till they perfect the metaverse to, to make it feel as though you can have, you can be in proximity with that person halfway across the world. You, you can live in a studio apartment order all your food from an Amazon drone and find your social connections with people across the world. Now, that sounds dystopian. It, it, will, it may have some positives because if you find a like-minded community, uh, you, you know, to sorry, to find a like-minded community without that technology, you're restricted by geography. And if you're not restricted by geography, the potential for you to find a like-minded community almost identical to you is far higher because you're then choosing between 8 billion people rather than the 8,000 in your suburb or whatever it might have been. And I think um, global elite, like people that are making decisions know this. They've known this longer than we have known this. They also know that this trend is going to make it way worse. But I think that they've actually come to a realization that they can't do anything about it in the, in the sphere of um of like helping these people there's no way we can reverse this so they're really just investing on biotech they're investing on uh medications and uh uh science to basically like readjust that chemical imbalance that causes from loneliness essentially so you're going to be on pills and that's what they're saying Th that's their strategy out of it really some according to some measures they're saying that they're going to Fix, I don't even know, if, like in, in air quotes, fix mental illness by the year 2060, whatever that means. And they they mean that they'll be able to develop mm. certain medications that will solve the issue. Well, we're already at that point. I mean, yeah. the, the, we're already, the, we're already the amount of people there. on antidepressants and, exactly. and it's on only medication for their mental health is as astronomical. Yeah, as society, social bonds go down further. Because like you said, now, we're now looking at this new metaverse, which is going to just turbocharge these issues. How do we solve it? Well, we develop these pills that might help us. Yeah. And it might cause other problems, which is, again, an open... That's that's like open season debate. And to be fair, the uh, 
the extended family network or just the social bonds of yesteryear also did come with their responsibility and for many, their restrictions. There were things that you were unable to achieve or do, even if it led to you moving further towards self-actualization, if it, for example, brought shame to the family. I mean, you'd know, you're a brown guy. Like, yeah. there's, there's nothing worse than the collective guilt that is put upon you from the extended uh, brown family if you just want to be an artist. And that's where the individualism of the West can be fantastic and it can uh, engender uh, a flourishing of new ideas and inventions and artistic brilliance. But the bad side of it is basically what we're experiencing right now, which is we've been so liberated from any responsibility of our uh, cultural and social groups that we're now just lonely <laughs> and have zero meaning because there's zero responsibility to our uh, to to our families and our um, tribes even left. with the restrictions that you mentioned of the family there's 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 a reasoning behind it there's a collective good that these families or these family structures are really chasing so example of like a brown kid wanting to be an artist the family is saying you're bringing shame to this household. What they're really saying is we do not know what your potential income will be if you want yeah, to be an artist. Sure. You have this many people in your family. We all pitch in to like have a good, a decent standard of living. Uh, you might not even be able to f uh, feed your kids. Now, you might be an artist and make millions of dollars. Maybe. The likelihood is low. So how about you abandon that idea and you go to uni, you become a doctor or a lawyer because whatever, that's stable income. And that's going to benefit our family. Again, it's all about family. Yeah. Family, clan, it's going it, to, that'll be a collective good. So maybe it's an individual wrong against you, but it's a collective good that everyone else appreciates. And this world isn't about your individual happiness. It's about collective happiness. So, and... The, and there was a rebellion against this family structure where people that want to be artists, they move away. They sort of give up. That's why families excommunicate you. They're like, okay, you can't have both. You yeah. can't want to be an artist and get the protection that your family structure provides to you. That's a fair point. So yeah, if we, if we want to move back towards uh, collective structures that ameliorate against a lot of these mental health concerns, we also have to give up some of that sense of autonomy and individualism, which I think is where particularly people of our generation then start to raise their eyebrows and say, hang on a minute. Yeah, Don't know if I want to give up that autonomy. Which is, again, it's, it's new for us. Historically, yeah. our people that have developed these family structures haven't had that thing of like, maybe they want to do certain things, but they're perfectly aware that they won't do it and they can't, they shouldn't do it because there's going to be repercussions and uh, and they're content with the idea that they don't have self-actualization or they don't have that kind of autonomy. It's like, yeah. Well, that concept didn't even exist in their yeah. consciousness. That's a relatively new idea. Yeah, being free can also lead to problems. It can lead to many problems. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there for, for, for that one. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. 
Hope you liked our special guest, Ali. He'll be back next week as well. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, as I mentioned on that that uh, little announcement podcast I did a couple of weeks ago, there will no longer be video versions of the podcast, at least for now. So uh, definitely make sure you subscribe. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the major ones. Um, I might be looking into the subscriptions models, but that will happen at the end of February. I'll let everyone know if I decide to change that to a, to a one-off cost rather than a subscription. But until then, subscriptions as normal, all the money's going to charity. If you'd like to send in a topic, question, or shout out, go to neilcolhatka.com slash podcast. And as I said earlier on in the podcast, if uh, you'd love to see a great comedy show in Sydney or Melbourne or Newcastle every Thursday in Sydney and Melbourne, comedyuntamed.com every month in Newcastle. All right. I think I'll end on the on this as well. That's three times. This might be too many, but uh, it's 10 seconds. Never too many. Exactly. Thanks for having me, Neil. Thanks for doing it, man. Bye, guys. <laughs>